finish up chapter number 19. Last week, um, we were in our message that was actually talking, we finished up that two-part series, which was called The Pathway to Idolatry. And in that message, The Pathway to Idolatry, we were looking at the Danites, the, the tribe of Dan. And what we saw with them was they were a people that were greatly blessed. God blessed them and gave them really a, um, what's the word I used in my notes here, a godly mandate. He gave them a mandate that they would be judges, that they would have power and influence. And then he blessed them with, a, with an inheritance, a part of the land that was rich and that was beautiful. But what happened was, unfortunately, as opposed to embracing what they were given, instead of exploiting the opportunity given to them through these, both of these gifts, they squandered them. They didn't take advantage of them. And what we found was the fact that not only did they not do what God called them to do, but in reality, they became dissatisfied. They became frustrated by their circumstance. Now, this was of their own making. God had given them all that they needed to, to exploit the opportunities they were given, and yet they, they, they squandered it. And what we saw was the fact that they reached a place where they were dissatisfied with what they'd been given. Has anyone ever been there before? <laughs> right? We look at our lives and so many times we have a tendency to pick out what we don't like or what we feel like we've missed out upon and we miss sight and lose sight of all of the great blessings that we have been given. But what we saw with them was that discontentment put them in a place where literally idolatry came along and it presented itself as an opportunity for them. And as opposed to them seeing it as an affront to their faith, this is an attack on our God, an attack on, on who it is that we serve. In reality, what they did was they saw it as an opportunity. Here's an opportunity to establish a new faith, a faith now that actually fits our fleshly desires. And what's really cool about it is we can now call it religion, right? Because this paganism, this would allow them to be fleshly and follow their human desires, not deny themselves, but fulfill themselves and do it all in the name of, of God. And it was this aspect of doing this, they literally turned their backs on the Lord. They turned away from who it was they were called to be. And we listen to that and we go, man, that's so wrong. How could they do that? But yet, if we think about our own selves, there are times when we get caught up in our emotions or our fleshly desires and we follow them. And you know what? We end up being in places that we have no business being. Amen. Right? We, and, and it happens so subtly. We don't just decide to go, I'm going to go way over here. No, it's that little slide, little concessions that we make. And what we saw this with the Danites. And what we saw is not only... Did they embrace idolatry and find a way to use it to their advantage? But they actually became full-blown idolaters. They literally went and established a new place. They called it Dan. And when they established that city, it was known as a place for idolatrous worship. And regrettably, because of their choices, what would actually happen would not only be a destructive impact on them individually, but it would also destructively impact Israel as a whole. And what we realize, the fact is, so many times we make decisions and we don't think about the long-term impact of those decisions. The Danites had no clue that the choice that they were making in the short term that they thought was just about them would ultimately have a long-term impact on them and their descendants and then also the entire tribe of Israel. And many times we think we make our decisions in a vacuum. We think that somehow there's not going to be an impact on others. But I can promise you, every decision that we make that's selfishly driven, guess what? It will ultimately have a negative impact on those that are around us. And what we find is, in fact, whether it's idolatry thousands of years ago or idolatry today, it's the same thing. It is simply taking the, the throne of our hearts... We're taking God, who is the one true heir, the one who should be on the throne of our hearts. We take him off of that throne and we take something or someone and we place them on that throne of our hearts. And that thing has now captured our attention. It's, it's captured our hearts. And we look at this and we go, wow, you know, if we see it, it's easy to recognize in the Danites. I mean, they were building literally graven images. But so many times the things in our life that are idols, we, we tend to see them and not recognize them for what they are. They can be our families. It can be our possessions, it can be our careers, it can be our reputation, it can be any number of things. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to put God first. And what we have a tendency to do is, unfortunately, put Him secondarily a lot of times because we get caught up in our flesh. And as, as we think about the way God sees it, right, how does He address it? In James 4, 4, He says, "...that ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God." He says, "...whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God." Now, none of us would sit here and go, man, I, I would register myself or want to be heard as an enemy of God or be labeled that way. Not in a million years. None of us would want to be an enemy of God. And yet, this is how God sees it. When our hearts are drawn to the world, when we have given ourselves to things that are not of God, 
Listen, we are turning our backs on him. Remember Exodus 20, verse 5. What did God say? He said, But thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Notice that, first of all, jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation. There are going to be long-term impacts of our decisions to them that hate me. So he registers our commitment to the world and the influence that it has over us as hatred towards him. And so this is the example that we're coming from. So coming off of the story of the Danites, which is all about unfaithfulness, it's all about selfishness, it's all about idolatry, chapter 19 ends up in a positive. So I'm not going to be beating up on you all today. It's not about looking at a negative example. Today's actually a really cool example because what we're going to do is we're going to look at Joshua's life. And Joshua's an amazing example. He's a beautiful picture of Christ. But what we see with Joshua is the fact that God is going to bless him for his faithfulness and give him his reward, his inheritance, in our message this morning, which is entitled, A Just Reward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this gift of this time, God. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the spirit of God that helps us to have discernment and understanding of the word. And Lord, I do pray for our hearts to be receptive. God, do not please allow me to get in the way. Uh, God, my flesh is the problem. And Lord, I do pray that you'd help me uh, to deny myself, to get out of the way, Father, that you'd use me as nothing more than a mouthpiece for you. And that, Lord, I would share those words that you would have to be shared. If something's coming from me, God, I pray that you'd stop it. Lord, if it's from you and your spirit, Lord, don't let me get in the way. I pray that you'd speak to us. And Lord, I pray that, God, you'd use what we hear today to help us to be better, to be a little bit more like you. Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so verses 19, or chapter 19, verses 49 through 51. It says, And when they had made an end of dividing the land for inheritance by their coast, the children of Israel gave an inheritance to Joshua, the son of Nun, among them. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city, which he asked, even Timnath-serah, in Mount Ephraim, and he built the city and dwelt therein. These are the inheritances which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided for an inheritance by lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they made an end of dividing the country. And what we're going to see today as we work our way through this is the contrast. I want us to pay attention to the contrast. We've spent all of these weeks talking about the different tribes, and we have seen how they have struggled. They have said parts parts of them where they wanted to honor and glorify God, but unfortunately, all of them have had a struggle in regards to following and doing things right. And what we're going to see today is a comparison. We'll see Joshua. Remember, Joshua is a picture of Christ. He see him in scripture. He is a picture of Christ. If you took the name Jesus and you went and took that name and you translated it into Hebrew, the name in Hebrew is Joshua. So it is the same name. And we look in Joshua's life and what we find is the fact that God has going to do a great work in him, has done a great work in him, and it will continue to do to the end of his life. But as we consider them, I want you to understand that all of the tribes have all fallen prey to temptation. They've all been tempted with situations scenarios where they fell prey to their temptations. Remember, Joshua is a picture of Christ. So listen to what it says of Jesus here in Hebrews 4.15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So we see Joshua was tempted just like the rest of the tribes, but Joshua does not fall prey to the sin. Joshua, though just a man, lived literally about 1,400 years before Jesus is even born on the earth, and yet in his life we see a Christ-like example for us to follow. Facing the tribulations that life threw at him, he will, listen, still embrace and fulfill the mission that God had given him to complete in his life. And so as we walk through his story, what we'll see today We'll see Joshua representing a humble servant, a faithful servant, a thankful servant, and an obedient servant to the end. And so let's first of all consider him as a, as a humble servant. Verse 49, when they had made an end of dividing the land for inheritance by their coast, the children of Israel gave an inheritance to Joshua, the son of Nun, among them right away. Right away, what we see here is the fact that, listen, as it comes to the distribution of the inheritance to the twelve, do you notice where Joshua places himself? At the very end. He is the very last one to receive. Considering the fact that, listen, he is a picture, he's a type of Christ in the Bible. And what we see is this aspect of putting himself at the back, making himself of no report, making himself of, of, of no reputation. It's no wonder that Jesus 
right, said this as he taught in Mark chapter 9 and Mark 9.10. He says this, 9.35, And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. This is the example that Jesus lived. It's the example we see in Joshua's life. Just like Jesus, Joshua puts his twelve before himself. Mark 10, verses 44 through 45. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. It is this aspect of humility that we see in Christ himself. The Lord's instructions to his disciples are also the instructions to us. That we're supposed to put the needs of others in front of ourselves. Yet we live in a kill-or-be-killed society. We live in a think, you know what, if anybody's going to be going to come out ahead, it's going to be me. That's the way that the culture functions, and that's the way a lot of Christians function, sadly. It's not about us. It's supposed to be about others. After all, this was the example that Jesus set through his life. Listen, as we go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, it says, But made himself, Jesus made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, notice this, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The humility, right? The humility of Christ. Not only do we see Joshua's humility in the fact that he set himself behind his brethren, but we also see that he waited on them to bless him. He didn't say, hey, listen, I've come to take what I deserve. Okay? He has done everything that God has asked of him. He has absolutely fulfilled the role that he was given. He has every right to say, listen, you know what? I've done, I, I, God told me this is what I'm supposed to do, and guess what? This is what I want. But we notice that he doesn't do that. He waits on them. He says, hey, this is a city that I'd like. The same way that Caleb did. Remember what Caleb said to, 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 to Joshua and said to God? He wanted Hebron. Hey, listen, God, when it comes time, after everything, I'd love that city of Hebron. I want to I wanna take it. And when we saw it, Joshua 14, 14, this is what it said. Because of his faithful service, this is what Caleb received. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because, this is why, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Now, he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And in the entire Bible, there's only one other man that also wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And his name just happens to be Joshua. Notice this, Numbers chapter 32, verses 11 and 12. Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Verse 12, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. These men did it right. Out of their entire generation, Joshua and Caleb are the only two faithful men. 603,550 men over the age of 20 entered into the wilderness. And out of 603,550, 603,548 died in the wilderness. Two out of that entire generation made it in. And the reasoning was because they wholly followed the Lord. The rest of them rebelled against God. The others looked into the promise and said, listen, we can't do this. Joshua and Caleb trusted the Lord. And it was because of the humility that we see displayed not only in his servant's heart, but also the way that he waits, right? That we can see. Joshua says, hey, listen, not me. It's not about me. And so he humbly waits to be blessed. Is that how we function? Do we serve others with no expectation of receiving anything in return? Some of us maybe say yes. But I think a lot of us sometimes go, well, okay. Well, I mean, hey, what are you going to do for me? That's the world that we live in. We live in a world that is very selfish nature. We're, we're raised in a competitive environment. Well, if I do something for you, you're going to do something for me in return. So the idea of selfless service is really very difficult for us to, to even perceive or understand. And so what happens is we see this example and we go, wow, huh. Because I can tell you this, many, many times... We can do nice things for people, and we can do it, and we think we're doing it for the right reasons, but there are ulterior motives that underlie, and we can get resentful, right? I I do something nice for someone, they don't say thank you. Oh, well, they're dead to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's crazy, but people will build that up. You know, I used to like them, but that one day, you know, I opened the door for her and she didn't say thank you. And you know what? <laughs> I hope I never see her again. <laughs> that's sad, but that's kind of the way we think. And so what we see is the humility that's displayed here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Paul's going to give us kind of a definition, kind of explaining the aspects of what's called charity. We're going to read 1 Corinthians. He wraps up this, and I'm going to read just verse number 3. He says this, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, so I'm going to give up everything I've got to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, I'm willing to be a martyr for the Lord. And notice this, And have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Okay. So what he's saying is the motive is what matters, not the action. Okay? The motive. So what happens is there are people that will go and they'll do things, but they're doing it for the wrong reason. And what's, basically what's happening is that God's saying, hey, listen, in the Lord's eyes, it doesn't mean anything. In the Lord's eyes, it's not service. You're, in fact, serving, serving yourself. See, the word for humble, selfless service in the Word of God is charity. Now, the word charity has been adulterated by the world. Okay? Charity is not just giving something that you don't want at goodwill. Okay? That's not charity. <laughs> charity, biblically, is the love of God manifested through a believer. Okay? So when, our, when we're doing what we're doing from the right place, man, that's a charitable heart. That's charity, scripturally. And so what happened is that that's what God's called us to be. That's the thing Paul's warning is he's saying, hey, listen, what will happen is if you're not careful, you'll do all these great things, and you're going to pat yourself on the back, and you're going to get all the accolades from people. But because your heart's not right, God goes, you know what? Butkus. Nothing. Counts for nothing in my eyes. And so what we do is many times we'll judge our worthiness or our, or, or, or our kindness or our whatever traits we are based on what people think. But it doesn't matter what people think. We can fool all of them, but God knows the truth, right? God sees our heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 continues, verses 4 through 7. He says, Charity, charity as he starts to describe it, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself up. It doesn't build itself up. And notice this, it is not puffed up. You know, if we could put one word on that, we would say it's humble, right? Charity is humble. And here's an area that we have to be careful of, okay? So when, you're in a, when we're in a church, and this church's focus is very doctrinally driven, we're a lot about teaching, we're a lot about investing the Word of God, and here becomes a danger to all of us. Because what happens is knowledge is a dangerous thing. Knowledge is a dangerous thing. Because what can happen is we come here, we come to Wednesday nights, and man, it's about application, and we're digging our conversations, and we're using our Bibles, and we're in discipleship, and we're reading and learning, and boy, we're growing and growing and growing. And what will happen to us if we're not careful is we'll shift out of the mindset, God's put us here to be ministers to our community. We're supposed to be ministers to the broken people around us. But if what happens to us is if knowledge starts to really get into us, and we start to think something about ourselves, you know what starts to happen? We'll shift from being ministers to being magistrates. You know what a magistrate does? They judge. And we'll shift out of the place of being brokenhearted for our neighbor to sitting back and going, would you look at them? Mm, mm, mm. That is ridiculous. <laughs> Has anybody ever been there? Man, I'm telling you, for much of my Christian life, Probably the first 10 years of my Christian life, I struggled with judgment. I came from a place where judgment was an everyday thing. When you walked into church, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you see, you see that? Right? Ridiculous. That's not what we're called to do. He says, judge not lest ye be judged. What's our job? To judge sin, not judge people. But yet what we like to do as people is go, I'm going to judge you. That is not my place. I can't judge anybody because guess what? By the grace of God, I should be in the gutter with anybody else. Only by God's grace. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says this. Now it's touching things offered unto idols. We know that we all have knowledge and this is it. Knowledge puffeth up. But notice the next part. But charity, charity edifieth. Right? Knowledge puffeth up and makes you think you're something special. But the charity that you have, that's what will build you and the people around you. Notice he goes back into his description, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. 
It says, speaking of charity, it says, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Listen, beareth all things, hello, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Those are not easy. Bearing, believing, hoping, enduring, those are tough. But he's saying, listen, if your heart's right, this is what you'll be doing. This is the way you'll live your life. Meaning that we will be humble, patient, forgiving servants of God. Does that sound like who we are today? Boy, I hope so. Some of you sitting in here, it does. To the T, that describes you. You serve and you do what you do with no expectation of getting anything in return. And I praise the Lord for that. But there are some of us who are here. And you know what? If we assess our hearts and we're honest with ourselves, we have selfish motives. Sadly. Sadly, we're not maybe we're where we would like to be. So the goal is, listen, do we humbly care for the servants, for other people as servants of Christ, or do we care for others with selfish motives in reality serving ourselves? Joshua's example of humble leadership and the service that he offers to others should be the example for us to follow. Like, we should be following it in our homes, at our work, in our school, in our community, in our church. That's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be humble and kind and gracious. Joshua models it for us. Christ models it for us. And ultimately, that's the desire God has for us, that that's who we should be, humble, right? So we see, first of all, that he's a humble servant. Then secondly, we'll see he's a faithful servant. Verse 50 says this, According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city, which he asked, even Timnath-Serah, in Mount Ephraim. And so like Caleb, Joshua had made a request of what it was that he would like, a very specific city by the name of Timnath-Serah. Now, Caleb received Hebron, as he had requested, and now it's simply Joshua's turn. After all, remember, he has done everything that God requested of him. Going, listen, he was Moses' disciple. And then what happens is when Moses comes off the scene, Joshua fulfills that role. He does not feel adequate. God says, be strong and of a good courage. Moses says, be strong and of a good courage. Joshua, you can do this. I know you don't think you're, 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 you're the guy, but you are the guy. God's going to use you. And then what happens? He brings the people across the Jordan River, right? They march Jericho. He leads the armies. He ultimately does all that God expects of him. And he goes through the whole process. And in the end, what was the end job? To get the land into the hands of the twelve. And guess what? They just finished doing that. And so what happens? Because of his faithfulness, listen, he's going to receive his reward. And what this teaches us is a principle that we've talked about a bazillion times. That God rewards faithfulness. God rewards faithfulness. Throughout Scripture, what we'll see is that God will have an expectation that He will give and lay out. And then what happens if someone meets that expectation? Guess what God does? He blesses them for doing so. We can see Abraham. We can see Joseph. We can see uh, Esther, Jeremiah, Mary. Across the board, you can find person after person after person. And God said, here's the expectation. If you do what I ask of you, then guess what I do? I'm going to... I'm going to bless you. That's what Joshua is revealing for us. Consistently and continually, God rewards faithfulness. But on the other side of that, conversely, consistently, listen, and continually, God also punishes unfaithfulness. God is a just God. People want God to just reward everything. Man, just, just it's all mountaintop moments. No. God brings punishment into our lives. Look at, go to Hebrews chapter number 12 and read from verse 6 down to verse 11. You know what it talks about? It talks about the chastening of the Lord. And you know what it tells us? It tells us it's grievous, but in the end, you know what it does? It brings about righteousness. God's whole goal is always to bring us through the storm. And so we think about this aspect of the, in our Christian lives, but then let's just consider it down to a simple, the very beginning of faith. Salvation, right? God was faithful to do exactly what He said He would do. And there's a request placed upon humanity. Listen, by faith, you can receive Christ as your Savior. God through, you know, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever. And then what happens in that moment is the individual gets to choose. Receive or reject. Right? Receive or reject. God was faithful to the end. And he's saying, hey, listen, if you'll faithfully receive the gift, then guess what? I will bless you with a relationship with me 
that's not short-term. It's an eternal one. And while you're on this earth, you're going to face some adversities, and you're going to get kicked in the teeth a few times, and you're going to find yourself in the ditch with a lot of mud on your knees. But you know what? I'm going to get you up, and I'm going to swipe you down. And when you leave this place, guess what will happen? That flesh will no longer be an issue for you. And those lessons that you learned, guess what? You'll understand one day why you had to go through them. But because you know what? We're knuckleheads and we're hard-headed. Sometimes we just got to spend some time in the ditch. So what God does is He works through those circumstances to reveal His love for us. Because what is He always trying to do? Restore us. Restore us. Get us up out of the ditch, clean us off, and put us back on the right course. Because He wants to use our life to reach somebody else, right? That's the ultimate, the ultimate goal. But what we find is the fact that for those that receive it, man, God blesses faithfully. But guess what? Those that reject, they will face God's judgment. And sadly, it is a horrific, horrific judgment. If we listen to Revelations 21 verse 8, says this, But the fearful and unbelieving, notice the wording here, the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers, and notice this, idolaters and all liars, have their part in the lake which burned up with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God's desire was that Israel would be faithful, that He would have a relationship with them, that they would be found faithful. But listen, it's always been His desire. It's his desire today. He not only wanted it with Israel, but he wants it with all of humanity. See, God wants us to have a relationship with him that is a love relationship. Notice this, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Listen, listen, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is the heart of God. He says, I will faithfully do my part if you'll do yours. Receive or reject. The choice is yours. You see, sadly, like many of the Israelites, faithfulness to God is still a struggle for many. Joshua was found faithful, and God rewarded him accordingly. And you know what God's expectation is us of us? Exactly the same thing. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Right? Just be found faithful. Just honor the Lord. He's given you a mission. Complete it. Stay on course. Be mindful of who it is you're supposed to be. If God were to assess your service to Him right now in your Christian life, would He assess you as being faithful? We need to ask ourselves that every day. Am I today being faithful? Joshua sets a great example for us. Joshua's not perfect, but he's faithful. He stays on course. Throughout Joshua's life, we'll see that he's a humble servant and a faithful servant, but we also see, thirdly, that he's a thankful servant. Verse 50 says, and he built the city and dwelt therein. Now, so here's where our study of the Danites is really important because it gives us a contrast to them, right? So unlike the Danites who disregarded God's command and ungratefully sought to have more land, right, because they thought that they deserved more, Joshua greatly, gratefully receives the single city that he requests. And you know what? Not only does he receive it, but he immediately takes advantage of the opportunity. He trusts God's word instead of doubting God's word. And guess what he does? He drives out the inhabitants exactly as God said would happen. And so where the Israelites, or where the Danites fell prey to their fears, Joshua walks by faith. And now he does exactly what God intended, which was to, to, for, to drive the inhabitants out and also establish a new city for the name and glory of God. And so not only has he modeled humility and faithfulness, but now we see, we see thankfulness. And you know what's interesting? Thankfulness translates into God-glorifying actions. When you and I are thankful, it translates into God-glorifying actions. That's just what the byproduct is. And as a result of living by faith, trusting God, and focusing on accomplishing his agenda instead of his own, Joshua is experiencing God's blessing and his abundance. And this is it. See, for us... Remember, all of these things in the Old Testament are pictures for us to learn from. Joshua is this amazing example of Christ, but he's also an amazing example of what it looks like to be faithful. And what we find is the fact that as we walk with him and we see his thankfulness and we see the way he's doing all that God expected of him, what we'll find is the fact that, listen, God's desire for you and I is that we would experience the same thing he's experiencing. He's experiencing the the abundant life. And that's God's desire for you and I. God wants us to experience this. We go to John. Chapter 10, verses 7 through 11. We hear Jesus describing for us this. It says, Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door 
of the sheep. Now, let me give you an explanation of this. So, when we think about the door of the sheep, there's something called a sheep fold, okay? And what they would do is they would make them out of brambles or they would make them out of rocks. And what they would be is basically a giant hoop or a fence, basically, to keep predators and keep thieves away. But they would never put a door on it. It just had an opening. So, the, the, the sheep would go into the opening and then the, the shepherd himself would be the door. If he wasn't standing in the door, he was sleeping right there. He would keep himself and no matter what. If something was going to come to get those sheep, it had to go through him. And they had men that they used to pay. Like if I, would, I, I was going to go sleep at the, at the inn, right? And I'm a shepherd and I pay some guy to sit at the door. Well, when the wolves come, guess what? He ain't staying. He's out. But the shepherds, you know what they'll do? They would die for their sheep. Notice what he says here. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And you know what the pasture translates into? Rest, safety, provision, and peace. That's what God's talking about. And that's where we're supposed to be. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So God says, I want you to experience rest Safety, provision, and peace. That's what this life is supposed to be about. That's what Joshua's experiencing, right? He's doing what God asked of him. And guess what, man? Everything is going exactly as God said it would. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. And so what happens? Jesus made a way for you and I to go from death unto life. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, literally we are brought from the very brink of destruction and given a victorious life. The Bible says that we can be more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And the question we have to ask ourselves, are we thankful for that? It's easy to sing songs of thanks. It's easy to say, oh, I'm thankful. But how does it translate into our lives? Do we live like we're thankful? Because that's the key. What we say doesn't matter nearly as much as to what we live. Because, you know, if you say, you know, if you come in and I'm like, how are you doing? You're like, I'm having a great day. <laughs> Loving life. Awesome. Never had a better day in my whole life. Amazing. Boy, I sure am thankful. But our countenance, man, that's the thing. There's people that look like they're going through, through the pits of hell, and they're like, oh, man, I love the Lord. Man, God's good. But their countenance is depressed and broken, and, and they're overwhelmed by circumstances. Can I tell you this? Listen, as Christians, we are not defeated. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. We are already victorious. Because the worst thing that could possibly happen to me in this life is that I lose my life. Well, guess what? I leave this life, and I go to the one where, guess what? There is no pain. There is no worry. There is no struggle. So the worst thing you can do is threaten me with heaven. Well, praise the Lord. But we go through life being so devastated by the circumstances, believing that this is our reality, but it's not. This is but a split, a blip in time. Eternity is forever. If I tied a string onto this cross and I ran that string to California, and I took a ballpoint pen, and I made one little line on that, on that ribbon, one line, it's like your life in, in, in comparison to eternity. It is a blip. Eternity is on the brink. The return of the Lord is on the brink. Why are we so focused on this stupid line? And we get overwhelmed by the circumstances of life and we don't allow ourselves to be who we're created to be. It breaks my heart. Because I know people are struggling with stuff and I know you're going through things and I'm not discounting what you're going through in any way, shape, or form. But I can tell you, man, God's created us to be victorious, not defeated. We're supposed to be optimistic. We're supposed to be joyful. We're supposed to be triumphant. And yet, how many Christians do you spend time around? And boy, it's everything but that. They are waiting for the moment to tell you what's wrong with their life. You can see it in their eyes. Just ask me, please. i got a lot I want to unload on you right now. Oh, just ask me. Just ask me. This is what's wrong. And they lose sight of all that's right. And it's all about our orientation. 
Do I see life as a defeated end destruction? Or do I see life as, you know what, this is nothing more than a pathway to get to God. This is an opportunity for me to, to grow, to be, to be better, to trust Him more. He says, cast your care upon me, for I care for you. I don't want you to bear the burden. I'll bear your burden for you. Just unload it on me. And yet we're like, oh, life is so hard. And he says, you know what? He won't put more upon us that he won't give us a way of escape. A way of escape. But see, we have to choose it. We have to choose it just like everything else. And a thankful heart shifts our perspective on the way life hits us. And we start to say, you know what? I'm thankful that, you know what? Going through all the things that I'm going through, boy, I praise God that I'm a child of the king. And in the end, you know what? I can shift my burden onto God. Man, my heart breaks for the lost world. And what if suddenly it wasn't about us anymore? And suddenly it was about the lost world going, you know what? I have a way out of this. They have no way out unless they know Christ. So my life is supposed to make a difference for them. Man, it's not about me. Wow. Perspective shift. Change in the goal. What is it God's trying to accomplish in our life? lives. Joshua 24, 15. This is why Joshua says this, because what's happening is right now the Israelites, all those tribes, they've received their inheritance and they're struggling to do what God asked them to do. He says, just be faithful. And they're not doing it. They're not thankful. They're complaining. And he says this, Joshua 24, 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, you hear that? If it seem evil unto you, if it's so hard for you to serve the Lord, God who loves you and has given you all of this, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I have not lost sight of how good God is. I remember. You guys have gotten confused. You've gotten sidetracked. Get back on course. Be thankful. Being thankful or unthankful are a choice. It's a mindset. You can be grateful or ungrateful. Thankful Christians, guess what they do? They serve the Lord. Unthankful Christians, you know who they serve? Themselves. So when you find yourself in a place of ingratitude, recognize the fact that, you know what? Let let Joshua's words ring in your mind. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Remember who God is. So we've seen Joshua modeled for us a humble servant, a, a faithful servant, a thankful servant. Lastly, we'll see him as an obedient servant. Verse 51 says this, These are the inheritances which Eleazar, the priests, and Joshua the son of Nun, the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel, divided for an inheritance by lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they made an end of dividing the country. God's instructions from the beginning always pointed to the distribution of the promised land to the twelve. We go back to when it was first given to Moses. We can hear God referring it to Moses here in Numbers 26, verses 52 through 53. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Unto these, speaking of the tribes, the land shall be divided for an inheritance according to the number of their names. And then what happened was Moses, who was supposed to do that job, disqualified himself. There was a point in time when they went and there was a rock, right? The people were dying because there was no water to drink. And Moses went to that rock. And what's interesting is you notice that that rock is capitalized for a very specific reason, because it's pointing to Christ. And he was to, go, he was to strike that rock. That was his instructions. Strike that rock, and living water will pour from that rock. And that's what he did. And this incredible picture of Christ is revealed. Christ, who was smitten, who was stricken, who was beaten, right? By his stripes we are healed. The picture of the crucifixion is in that violence that hit the rock, yeah. right? Then there's another occurrence, and they go back to the rock. And God says, speak to the rock. And you know what? Moses gets frustrated. And he takes his stick, and he goes, whack, whack. And you know what he did in that moment? Think about it. Christ was to be crucified one time. Violence once. So the living water would come by violence one time. The second time, it was supposed to come by the word. And so the picture, in Hebrews 6.6, Paul talks about Christ being crucified afresh. He's talking about people that believe they can lose their salvation. 
And what they're doing is they're going, you know what? I was saved, but now I've lost it. So guess what? I've got to put Jesus back on the cross because I've got to get saved again. They don't understand. It's terrible. It's t- There's people in the world right now that will use these verses in Hebrews and try to teach you that you can lose your salvation. It's straight out of hell. It is not true. Bottom line is Jesus died once and once for all. Our salvation is eternal. Will we mess up this life? Yes. Will we make mistakes? Yes. But He's a God of grace and redemption. We don't lose our salvation. We affect our sanctification and our relationship with God. If you are my child and you were born of my blood and you went out and ruined your life, I can't say, that's it, I'm getting new kids. You're no longer my kid. By blood, if they do a DNA test, we're linked. And guess what? The blood of Christ is in my life. Through Christ, we receive Him. It's His blood that covers our sin. And we have the same blood type. That's why we call each other brothers and sisters. And when you're in the family, you're in the family. You won't be perfect. You're going to mess up. That's okay. Because guess what? No matter how, if I had the worst, if you were the worst kids in the world, I'd still have to claim you. And that's what God does with me sometimes. He's like, man, you're an idiot. Come on. Get in the back of the car. It's just the reality, man. Sometimes we're a mess. And it transferred. The responsibility transferred from Moses over to to Joshua. Deuteronomy 31, verses 7 and 8. And Moses called unto Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of a good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them, notice this, and thou shalt cause them to inherit. Now it's your job, Joshua. And the Lord let it, and the Lord, uh, and the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Joshua, just trust me. And Joshua never lost sight of that mission. As we walk through his story over the last two years, we've seen him doubt himself. We've seen him make stupid decisions. We've seen him fall flat on his face. But even in his failures, he never lost sight of the mission that God had given him. So recognize if you're in your life and you've fallen, you've failed, you've messed up, just don't lose sight of why you're here. Because that's the way the devil gets a victory. When we lose sight of why we're here, then you know what? We become ineffective. The only reason Satan wants to knock you down is because you're a threat to his kingdom. Listen, if he's got you in a spiral of emotion and you're stuck in a hole, you're not a threat. He'll do all that he can do just to keep you in that pit. That's why the Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. It's talking to the church. And so when we open our hearts to emotion and we allow these things to overwhelm us, we can be broken down and controlled. But you know what gets us out of that? Faith. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he will finish. Right? He will complete that work in my life. And so we say, listen, you know what? So I'm not going to walk by sight. I'm going to walk by faith. And you know what that does? It rises me out of that pit. And it puts me back on the battlefield. And I realize that, listen, in the end, it's not me that has to reach the people. All I need to do is be consistent. God's the one that will do the work. He'll convict their hearts. He died on the cross. He does the work. He provided the Word. It's His Spirit that does the work anyway. All i got to do is show up. A willing vessel. That's all we've got to be. We don't have to be talented. Or special. Just willing. And Satan sees when you want to do the right thing, man, he sees it. And he will try to stop you. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Praise God. And Joshua never lost sight of his mission, his goal that God had for him. And it was his obedience, right? His obedience that we model. It's the obedience of Christ. Remember back in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Do you remember what it said? It said, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and listen, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Obedient. Because he'd been given a mission, which was to save this world through his death. And it was his mission that he fulfilled, obedient to his last breath. Oh, that that could be said of us. What if to your very dying breath, man, you're testifying the goodness of God. You're suffering in a hospital bed. And you're saying, can I tell you something? My body's on its way out. But can I tell you right now, my soul is soaring. This is just a short term. But my eyes are on the long term. I can already taste the sweet air of heaven while I'm in this bed. Do you know for sure 
Man, you hear stories of Christians that on their very dying breath are talking about the goodness of God. Thankful. And they're humble. They're faithful. They're thankful. And they're obedient to their very last breath. Would that be said of us? Praise God. I pray it would. For you see, we've all been given a mission just like Joshua. But ours is a great commission. Our commission in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. We're to go reach the world. That's the purpose of our lives. We're to reach the world with the gospel, the good news, that God sent a Savior for the world. We're to share this message through professing it absolutely, but also boldly living it. Because words without actions, boy, you know what they do? They look like hypocrisy. Boy, oh boy. You're a Christian? Yeah. Man, you know, why do you always seem so defeated? Well, you know, I just get caught up in things. But what if someone sees our lives and they know what's going on in our life, and yet they see us with the joy of the Lord, the, word, the joy that passeth all understanding? Keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Man, our testimony speaks volume. We're supposed to be reflecting the light and the love of Christ to this dark and broken world. Matthew 5, 16. Let your lights so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. This is why you are here. It's all about making Him known. That's your mission. Don't lose sight of it. Don't lose sight of why you're here. It is to be our focus. Is it? It should be. Because I can promise you, it is our mission. No doubt about it. That's going to matter when we get to heaven and we stand before the Lord. You know what the whole conversation is going to be? Who's here because of you? And who's not here because of you? Because I can promise you, the Bible says we're going to give an account of every idle word, every moment, every thought. We're not going to be perfect. No one is. We'll make mistakes. But are we still on mission? Have we lost sight? Have we gotten diverted into the world? Are we caught up in the cares of the world? Are we being unfaithful to our Father because we're in a relationship with things that are not godly? Will we be obedient to the end like Joshua? God's called us to serve Him through serving others. His instructions to us in Matthew 22, 37, I'm almost done, through 39, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, number verse 39, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Boy, that's what we're supposed to be doing. When we look at Joshua's humility, his faithfulness, his thankfulness, and his obedience, we see a crystal clear picture of Jesus Christ, the ultimate example of a servant. The question we have to ask ourselves is, does the world see Jesus in us? Does the world see Jesus in us? Does our life display his humility, his faithfulness, his thankfulness, and his obedience? Look, if the answer is yes, then praise God. Just keep shining. (laughs) But if it's not, let me challenge you with Joshua's words one more time. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Because in the end, the choice is ours. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the amazing example of Joshua's life. Thank you, Father, for what you have shown us, the way you've revealed truths to us, and, Lord, for the mission that you've given us. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, those that are struggling, cares of the world, or just the weight of what's going on in life. And, Lord, life's not always easy, that's for sure. Boy, it's loaded with challenges. But you tell us to cast our care upon you. And, Lord, the way we do that is by letting it go. You can't cast something you're still holding on to. It doesn't say hand it to me. It doesn't say lay it down. It says cast it, throw it, let it go. And Lord, I do pray that you help all of us to cast our care upon you. Lord, that we would realize the mission that you've given us, the purpose of the life that we've been entrusted with, the strength that we have, the health that we have, the number of days you've given us left on this earth. Lord, however many they are. Today is our last day and we leave tomorrow. God, help us to live today for your glory. Help us, Lord, not to get caught up in the cares of the world because they're so easily, easily beset us. 
And God, I do pray for my brothers and sisters, Father, that you'd help our hearts and our minds to be surrendered to your desire for our lives, that we would make a difference for eternity. Their heads bowed and with their eyes closed. If you're here today and you said, listen, I don't know necessarily where I stand with God. Maybe you're listening to this recorded or you're watching it. You say, I don't know where my relationship is with the Lord. Guys, 22 years ago, I had no clue who God really was. If you'd asked me if I believed in God, I'd said, sure, I guess so. But I didn't have a relationship with Him. See, it's one thing to believe that God exists, and it's another to personally know Him as our Savior. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, meaning that every one of us in mind. But ultimately, it's only received. The Bible says it's a gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A gift. A gift costs the giver, but it's free, the one that receives it. And if you've never received it by faith, if you've never truly, earnestly understood that you're a sinner and that you're in desperate need of a Savior, today can be your day. As He calls out to your heart, all you have to do is surrender. The whole purpose is just to realize that we need Him. Because I can promise you, He waits with bated breath, ready to establish a relationship with you immediately, simply by faith. There's no magic prayer. There's no ceremony. It's just a broken heart calling out to a loving God and surrendering to that call. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, here's your chance. Again, there's no magic in this prayer. I'm going to lead you, but it's not the words. It's your heart that God's listening to. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. Repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ as your Savior. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I am so sorry for my sin. I believe that you love me in spite of myself, that you died on the cross to pay the debt for my sins. And Lord, that in this moment, you stand prepared to receive me as your son. By faith, I'm calling out to you. I'm recognizing my sin, and I'm asking you to come into my heart and save me. For you are the only way. Lord, thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I'm praying. Give thanks. Amen.